presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and we are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night back here in our regular 10 p.m. time slot because, well, last week NFL football kind of shifted us around, so we had a chance for a primetime show. We got to uh, talk to some people. We we uh, discussed the Fearing Tower investigation and, and talked about some of that evidence. And we're going to work on getting all that stuff up online so people can check it out. We'll also keep you up to date with when that's going to start being open for investigator nights as well. But again, if you'd like to get on board, just uh, email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. And we'll make sure we put you on that list. But tonight we have an action-packed show coming up. Uh, joining us on the line will be Willie Windwalker Gibson in just a few minutes. And he's a... He's a shaman, Matt Moniz, mm. uh, and he's also a paranormal investigator, and he uses his shamanism with his investigations, and that, I, I thought you might find that kind of interesting. Well, you got to remember, shaman back then, they were supposed to be in tune with the spirit, so it would stand to reason to have one as a uh, paranormal investigator. And somebody such as yourself that has a, a background in using scientific tools to investigate and document the paranormal you know is it good for you or is it bad for you to be able to incorporate in your investigations you know some of these older ideals actually i have no problem incorporating them to me it's just extra data points you, you know data is data you you can use it and it can augment what you've already got or you know if it doesn't provide anything it's still data that could possibly be used later on on something that you're not aware of yet at that particular time and for so many centuries you know shamans and, and certain people uh within certain groups uh, always have this close connection to quote unquote the other side and i think for it to have lasted that long and for us to kind of dismiss it now as as hocus pocus kind of kind of stuff i think we're doing a disservice to those cultures and what their beliefs were for so long well uh to be blunt, they were the organizers of the cultures that we have today. Without them, we wouldn't be here, but, you know. Well, there was this whole little thing called the Age of Reason kind of screwed everything <laughs> all up. Yeah. And look where that's got us. Somewhere the Age of Reason became the the uh, the age of stubborn pig-headedness, and that's where we are today, unfortunately. So how, how was your holidays, guys, I, I should ask you? It was good. It was awesome. Did you, uh, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? For the most part. Yeah. What didn't you want? What what did you want that you didn't get? I'm sorry. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that you didn't want that you got, like socks and underwear. You know, nobody cash. wants that. Yeah, you I just wanted straight cash. up cash. And uh, and Matt, did you get everything you wanted? This? Everything but the surface to air missile system. You're not allowed to have that. <laughs> I noticed. You know, and and coincidentally, I see they, black helicopters flying over Wareham the other day. I wonder why. They have a Nerf one that he could have got. That's true. We could get him that, and see, he'd still get shot at by the <laughs> by the helicopters though. It wouldn't work out. Well, we are going to be here all night talking with you about the paranormal. If you'd like to join into the conversation, just give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Phone lines are open throughout the entire program. You can also visit us online, SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can email us, SpookyCrew 
at SpookySouthCoast.com. We can get your emails right here in the Spooky Studio. A little bit later on, we'll have the return of the week in Weird and then uh, the haunted headlines with Chris Balzano if we can if we can get that loaded up on the computer because Chris forgot to email it to us. Chris, if you're listening, you can't forget. Well, he sent it to you. He didn't send it to us. Yeah. You know, the people who actually have access to the technology here in the studio. Send it to Moniz when he's driving down on his motorcycle. What good is that doing? <laughs> you know, you need the people with the iPods and the the, uh, the flash drives and everything else. So, And the working computer. <laughs> I don't have that either Me. right now. That's why Spooky South Coast TV crashed and burned after one episode, just because I'm I'm still waiting to get my uh, my laptop back. So why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will speak with Willie Windwalker Gibson about his life in using shamanistic tendencies and, and approaches to paranormal investigation. We'll talk to him. He's, he's led a really interesting life, so I think this is going to be a great conversation. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that here on Spooky South Coast. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. <laughs> Bustin' makes me feel good. Hey, has that game come out yet, Matt Costa, the Ghostbusters game? Um, I hear it's not coming out till July. What? Yep. Oh, man, it keeps getting pushed back. So, By the time the new movie will come out before the, the video game will. It's going to come out for everything, though. Every system? Even Commodore 64. Well, if they, <laughs> that's, that's what I had the original Ghostbusters on. You know, if they just keep pushing it back, then maybe by the time it comes out, I'll have a PlayStation 3. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I was in the stores yesterday, and, and, and I was in the uh, the video game store, and man, the lines were ridiculous. And I was like, what's going on in here? Is there some sort of special sale, or, or you know, every fifth customer gets a, a free PlayStation or something? And they said, nope, nope, that's just what it's like the day after, because people buy game systems and realize they don't have things to connect them, or, yep. or games to play in them, and... You know, not that it has anything to do with our conversation, but I just found it interesting. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, that's, that's all research. <laughs> all right, well, joining us on the line is Willie Windwalker Gibson. You know, normally we read a biography uh, about our guest, uh, but I think I'm going to actually suspend that with Willie because he's had such a, an interesting life. We want to make sure we get right into the, the discussion with him about it, but we will say he is the author of the book The Shaman Windwalker, and he has a new book coming out soon called Soul Warriors. So we'll talk to him about those as well as his life and his uh, investigations into the paranormal. How are you tonight, Willie? I'm doing good. Well, uh, we, we thank you for joining us. Now, uh, tell us a, a little bit about what a shaman is and what a shaman does for those who might not be familiar. Well, actually, uh, a shaman is like a uh, spiritual leader. Uh, a lot of people think a shaman and a medicine. A medicine man are the same thing. They're not. A shaman is like a spiritual leader. Uh, he does a lot of realm work, a lot of uh, uh, spiritual journey work. Uh, people come to him for a, a spiritual advice, um, especially if they're, you know, they're experiencing things like if they're starting to see spirits around or whatever. He's able to uh, tell them what's going on and make contact with them and. It's basically a, a spiritual advisor. Now, with Native American cultures, as we know, the the spirits were very, very important to them. So, I can imagine that within these within these tribes, that the shaman was considered one of the most important members. Yes, uh, they you know even chiefs went to the shaman for advice, and uh, yeah, the, he was very uh, a shaman is very revered in in the culture. 
So how do you become a shaman in, in today's culture and, and being, you know, a lot more disjointed Native American cultures than there used to be in years past? How did you go through the process of becoming one? Well, about 1981, uh, as uh, you, as I told you, I'm, I'm Cherokee and Irish. Mm-hmm. In 1981, I was, I was a peace officer and I was working on, in a uh, area that had a Native American burial ground. And I was assigned to that area to make sure nobody bothered the, bothered the place or, you know, ransacked the, this burial grounds or whatever. So I was sitting in the burial grounds one night in my cruiser and I happened to see this Indian walking towards my cruiser. And I got out and I stopped him and I, I told him what, what, you know, I'd asked him what he was doing there. And he says, I belong here. And he looked me up and down. He says, you're Indian, are you not? I said, yes. He said, you know your Indian name? I said, no. And uh, he says, your name was Windwalker. He walks with the spirits. And um, I, so I asked him what his name was. And he said that his name was Singing Fox, and he was, he belonged there. He watched over the property. And I told him, he you know, he was trespassing. And he just smiled at me, and when he did, he disappeared. Hmm, wow. So, uh, you know, I, I let it go. I didn't even report it. or You know, I didn't want people to think I was crazy. But the next night, he appeared again. And... He, he, you know, so I started a conversation with him, and he was a spirit, he, he, and he was a shaman, and he told me that I was going to be one, too. And, I, of course, I didn't believe him or anything, but he, he started visiting me every night after that and, and teaching me things and how to do meditation and things like that. He even, he even saved my life in that, uh, that cemetery. So uh, he told me, he came to me in that Native American burial ground and told me that I was going to be a shaman. So... I, after he taught me uh, some things, I kind of let it go till about 1984, and that's what my, when my uh, father crossed over. And about two weeks after he crossed over, he came back. Um, I got off duty one morning, and I went over to the house, and I decided just to lay down his bed just to, you know, just to feel, you know, his energies and things like that. And I laid down on his bed, and I closed my eyes, and I felt something tug at my feet. And when I did, I uh, opened my eyes and sat up. There stood my father. Well, my father had been in and had been ill for six months, and he had been a double amputee. But he was standing right there with with uh, his legs, and he was smiling at me, and uh, just to show me that there was a spiritual side. And, he, and then he then he disappeared. So after that, I started getting into it a little bit more and started doing a little bit more practicing and helping people and out. And uh, that's how I got started. Now, when you say that, uh, that that singing fox came to you and, and gave you these lessons, I mean, what what was involved in these teachings? What was it that he that he taught you? Well, he taught me how uh, to get into a deeper uh, realm of uh, meditation. Uh, he taught me how to leave my body. Um, he taught me how to uh, in, uh, to uh, kick into my second sight abilities. Um, as a little kid, you know, I, I could see spirit and hear spirit, but I really let it go. I kind of, bar- you know, um, you know, I, the only one that knew about it was Dad, and he never, he just told me just to keep it to myself. Well, so he taught me how to use what I had, and uh, he taught me a lot about nature and how to do certain things along those lines. Well, you didn't always know about the Cherokee side of your family, is, is that right? That's right. Uh, I didn't, actually didn't know I was Indian until I was watching TV one night, and I was watching a, a, a Western, and, you know, I was rooting for the wrong side, and my dad took me over to, run, to in the other room and told me, said, hey, you know, 
you're Native American, and he said, we are Indian, we're Cherokee. I just thought I just had, you know, I was born with a natural tan. He never, you know, I never did think I was Indian, <laughs> but uh, found out then that I was I was Indian and Irish. I'm Indian on my father's side and Irish on my grandmother's side. So, what kind of uh, information and what kind of uh, lessons about your culture was your father able to provide? Well, after after he came on out and told me uh, that we were that I was Cherokee. Then he then he started ta- talking about the family and you know we're from Eastern Kentucky and um, I come from a, a line of miners and farmers and uh, you know he taught me you know he told me a little bit about uh, what he used to do as a kid and he taught me a lot about uh, how to do uh, herbal stuff and uh, he listened to me when I told it when I would tell him that. These spirits were coming to me and asked me questions and trying to ask me for help and things. See, he had a little bit of that too. So he used to take me around to funeral homes and take me up to, you know, just take me in and and, and go into a, somebody that was being viewed. And he would go up to the coffin and make me go up there and look at him to to show that not to be afraid of death. So he would teach me a few things like that when I was a kid. Uh, that's definitely a, a different approach. Yeah. You know, from from what I've normally heard, and and so now naturally, then if you're getting this type of cultural uh, education from your father, then when Singing Fox comes to you and he and he starts telling you now there's a purpose to all of this, I mean, was that kind of overwhelming at first, or or did you just naturally start to make sense of it and say, okay, I see what you're saying, I'm talking to a spirit, so I must be able to do this, and it made it easier to accept. Made it easier to accept, but like I said, I, I was I was seeing spirits like when I was ten years old mm-hmm. and. You know, they would come, and I mean, I would wake up, and there would be somebody, there would be a spirit standing there in the room, or I'd be walking up the street, and I see, the, uh, you know, a spirit walk right through me, you know, and I, I didn't know what was going on until I actually ran into Singing Fox on in that burial ground, and he started telling me some things, and I understood what my dad said. It would make sense then to be on a shamanistic path, you know, with your life if that was happening. But it must have been strange though when you were younger to to not be able to make sense of why you could see it, and nobody else could. Yeah, uh, and you know, I was scared sometimes, but sometimes, you know, but after, you know, they would come to me and, and, and when they would disappear, I would, I wouldn't see them anymore. I guess they just wanted some help or they just wanted to talk or, uh, they could just sense my, my energy. I didn't know at that time that I had kind of a, a light around me that, that, that I drew these things in. So I started understanding more about what was going on after I ran into Singing Fox. My dad, uh, like I said, I would go to my dad and tell him things, or I'd go to my mom and tell her things, and they would listen to me, and they would say, I understand what you're saying, and uh, but just don't tell anybody else. Don't tell your brothers or sisters. Don't tell, don't tell your teachers. Don't do anything like that. He says, but anytime you see something like that, you come and tell us. So it was just the three of us until I was old enough to uh, get out and start using this. See, one of the things that I've always thought, and, and you can tell me if you agree with this point of view or not, but I've always thought that maybe people with the ability to to uh, recognize and, and speak with spirits and interact with spirits, to the spirit it kind of looks like people driving by in a bus. You know, and most people are kind of doing their own thing and looking their own way, but every couple of windows there's a face that's turned and looking directly at you. Yeah. And does that seem like kind of like what it's like for them to, you know, they're just looking for the for the light that's around you to say, hey, you know, over here, you yeah. can see me. Yeah. Uh, other sensitives that I've talked to tells me the same thing. 
So now, you know, you, you go through this process of becoming a shaman, but what can you do with that then? What, what can you use that education for besides, you know, making sense of all the stuff that had been going on in your life? Well, uh, I've take, took what I've, I've learned and I go and do things like clearings, cleansings. Uh, uh, I learned myself how to read Native American totems, which is, uh, it's a, it's a kind of, uh, people say it's like tarot, but it's not really. I just use the energies from what I get from the animals to to give readings to people. Uh, I do, like I said, I do a lot of clearings and cleansings on houses. Uh, sometimes people come to me, and I might have there might be a spirit attached to them that I have to get rid of. Uh, I use it uh, a lot like that. Uh, well, how exactly do you read a totem? What's involved in that? Okay, what it is, uh, the totem animals, uh, I, I lay the totem animals out, their own cards, I lay them out, and however they fall, is, is, it tells me the story of that person that's sitting in front of me, whether they're, you know, they're having hardships at home, or they're having relationship problems, or what the future might bring, or if you know, a lot of time people come to me, they just want a, like a general reading, what's going on with their life and things. A lot of people come and that when they're having relationships, like, Women might come to me and say, well, I think my wife, uh, my husband's having a, uh, an affair. Well, you know, I, I tell them, I said, do you want to know the truth? And they said, yeah, show, tell me the truth. And I, I, will, I will tell them what the reading says and what they do with it, it, it. You know, that's up to them. But I tell them once they leave my house after the reading, that's where it stops. You know, I, I won't go any further with it because there's no use of me pushing forward. Because all, all the hundreds of readings I've done, you know, if I thought about all of them, that would run me crazy. So in Native American culture, then, and, and for those unfamiliar, I mean, I'm a little bit uh, sketchy on the details myself, but the, these totems, I know that the animals represent different things, mm-hmm. but were these have been, you know, an individualized story for the tribe that were told through these? Yeah, uh-huh. So when you do the cards, it's kind of like your own individualized same type of thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, when people come to you and, and, and they're looking for that approach, are they also of Native American descent, or is there something about you know, this belief, this culture that makes sense to them? A lot of people, I found out when they, when they come for reading, they, they've gone to other readers a long time. They, they go to readers that use regular tarot cards, and, you know, they really put on a show for them, and they pay a lot of money for their reading, and yet they get nothing out of it. But when they come to me and, and they realize that I do things differently, if a person comes to me for a reading, I don't rush it. If it takes 20 minutes, it takes 20 minutes. If it takes an hour or two, it takes an hour or two. I don't rush into it, and I sit there and explain to them everything that I'm doing, every everything that every, the spread of the cards, or if their if their spirit guide comes in, I'll introduce it to introduce their spirit guide to them and talk, you know, run, have a conversation with them. And they they like that. They like the more hands-on things. They like for me to get involved, actually involved in the reading with them, other than. Hey, it's a business. You're 15 minutes up. You have to leave now. So that's what. That's why I'm a lot different than other than other readers. Uh, I take my time with people, and I really get into what they're there for. But then again, again, I tell them once they leave, you know, the reading stops. I mean, I will forget about everything that I've told them because if if they say they come back for four or five months later, and they said, "Well, you told me this and this and this," well, I said, "Really." You know, I'll have to take your word for it because then when, once I shut down from that reading, I forget about it. 
Well, and, and we've talked to plenty of other, uh, you know, psychics and, and different readers on the show, and, and they all kind of agree, you know, that you can't change the free will aspect of things. They can only tell right. you what's going on, and then how you use that information is a product of your free will. Uh-huh. So for you to even bother thinking about it, I mean, you, you've got to worry about every move that person's going to make as a result of what you've told them, and, and you just have, you know, you basically have to be a, a private detective in addition to everything else that you're doing. Well, uh, then again, people, you know, I have had stalkers. I've had people show up, you know, come want to come every week and say, you know, what should I do now? What should I do now? You know, instead of working things out for themselves, they want me to tell them everything they should do in their life. And I'll tell them, no, that's your that's your job. That's that's your path. You have to you have to figure that out for yourself. People, a lot of people, if uh, some of these readers out here, when they get somebody on the hook, I say. They'll, they'll tell them, well, you know, come back in a week or come back in two weeks, and then we'll go over this and this and this. And then when you do this and this and this, come back in another two weeks, and we'll go, I don't do that. And they, they'll ask me, well, when should I come back from reading for you? I said, give it six months. Give it a year. And, uh, you know, I don't need to see you up in, uh, other than that because you have to give the reading time, you know, to come to pass. They have to, once they get the reading, whether they follow it or not, it's up to them. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a, an opportunity where you've had to censor yourself from giving all of the information that you've gotten in a reading for a person? You mean like uh, if I see something bad show up in their in their in their reading, like uh, health wise or anything like that? Or for whatever reason, you know, it could be health or what have you. Have you ever had to censor yourself? My concern is, do you hold information back or do you give them everything? Well, for example, if I see something health-wise in the reading, I will tell them to go to their doctor and get a checkup. It's time to go to get a checkup, and I'll ask them, I say, are you having problems here? Like, are you having trouble with breathing? Are you having trouble with your heart? Are you having trouble with your circulation or your blood pressure? And they'll say yes. I said, well, it's time to go and, you know, and see the doctor and get that taken care of. If I see, like, uh, in the reading, if there's going to be a passing soon, I'll, I'll just tell them that, I see in the reading that there's going to be a transition in your family soon. I don't know who it is or what time it's going to be, but, you know, it's going to be very, very soon. I'll have to, I, I, I tell them the truth, but I, I, I ease into it the way it won't be so shocking to them. It's almost like, you know, psychics and, and, and mediums and people who have these abilities have to have even a stronger bedside manner than a doctor might, because at least with a doctor, they can come out and say to you, you know, here's the hard data, here's the, the, the paperwork I can show you to, to prove it and just accept it and go with it. Whereas what you're doing is you have to allow people to, you know, not only digest the information, but to digest how it's coming to them. And, I mean, if you told me, you know, hey, I, I see something in you and it looks like you might have some sort of, you know, growth, uh, you might have cancer. You should get that checked out. I'd say to you, well, you know, you're just using psychic abilities. You're no medical doctor. And I'd shut down that information. So you've kind of got to worry about how to present that information to them and get them to accept that, yes, you do have to listen to what I'm saying. You should get it checked out. Yeah, that's that's how I do it. Well, I'm glad that uh, at least you, you, you make them aware without giving them a diagnosis. I, I, I can't stand it when, you know, you get a Sylvia Brown or somebody like that that tries to give medical diagnoses. No, I, I don't do that. I, I'll just, I'll just you know, give them, I'll just lead them into it, and whether they take that and, and do the proper thing with it, it's up to them. At least I, I know that I've done the best I could. 
true, and that's 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 really all you can do. Now, when you're going out into paranormal investigations and and actually, you know, going alongside uh, some of these teams that you work with, like like Louisville Paranormal and and the different uh, film and television projects you've been working on, how do you utilize your shamanistic abilities with what they're trying to do as an investigative team? Well, the the usual way I do it when they come, whatever team I'm working with, I'll have them come and get me. And take me to the location. I won't. I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to know any know any history. I don't even you know. I don't even know where we're going until we get there. They'll go in and they'll they'll do the investigation, and I'll stay back. I'll stay outside. Once they get their readings and their base readings and their temperatures and all this, and get get their EMF meters out and go all through the houses or whatever, and they come back out, then they say, "Well, now you go in and and uh, I will follow you and." We'll uh, we'll see what you pick up. So I'll go into a room and I'll read it, or I'll I'll uh, see if there's any residual energies, or if there is a spirit in there, or what kind of energies are in there. If it's if, if it's demonic or infestation or whatever. If it's if it's any any you know if it's a mischievous ghost or if it's a bad entity in there, then I'll I'll go and I'll I'll find the area. I'll see there's something here and this is what's going on here. And they usually have got some kind of a reading picked up already that there's something going on in that area or i say something's coming in you want to do you want to put your uh, recorders here or your emf meters there and you know your their thermometers or whatever and i said you know feel fill this out right here and then we'll do the investigation and then we'll and then we'll see what what the person that owns the house or the property wants to do if it's if it's an entity that's not really bothering anything it's just kind of mischievous Usually they leave it alone, you know, but if it's something that's really bothering people or hitting people or something like that, then I'll go in and I'll do a clearing on the house and uh, to see to see if I can get rid of it. Sometimes I might have to go back two or three times to make sure it's really cleared out. That's how I do it. Are there rituals that you can do as a shaman that if when you go to a location, if spirits, you know, aren't, overtly present but you know you can kind of tell that they're lingering are there rituals or, or ceremonies you can conduct in order to kind of draw them out what i usually do i, I have I, sometimes i use different things like a drum or i might use tuning forks or i might use sticks or i might use rattle to, you know to shake up the energies and bring them out uh sometimes I, I will i will light some incense or i might light some sage to bring them out to to where i can deal with them and are you kind of opening the door for for any entity to come through for any spirit, whether it be human or inhuman? Uh, usually, when when I if I go into an area and I don't sense anything there, and they don't pick up anything on their equipment, I don't try to invoke anything to bring anything in. Mm-hmm. You know, I just if there, some a lot of times it's just something basic that's wrong with the house, or uh, it, it could be area. And I might have to do is just cleanse the people themselves. I might just have to do a saging for the people and uh, get that negativity out of the house. Well, it's interesting because not only uh, are you a shaman, but it's actually you also have uh, other beliefs uh, as well. You're, you're of a, a Christian uh, minister as well. Yeah, well, my whole family is Pentecostal, and I had ministers in my family uh, from back up in the hills of Kentucky. And my dad was kind of a lay minister too, and he would, you know, he would sit down on Sundays and read the Bible to us and all that. So, you know, I, I, you know, he sent us to Sunday school and all that during during our childhood and things like that. And we were brought up in a Christian house and, and the belief of God, which I do. You know, I work with the Great Spirit. Same thing, God's 
great spirit. So the shamans and and the, the ministers they they work hand in hand. I found out by using what I uh, my training as a shaman plus my minister. You know what I've learned in in my theology classes and things like that when I was ordained in 1990 that I could put these two things together and they work really well together. It seems like too when you can open yourself up to you know multiple belief systems, you, you kind of have you're, you're casting the net a little bit wider, and you're not limiting yourself to the narrow focus that that some religions or some belief systems might tie you into. Sure, I've worked with Catholic priests, I've worked with Buddhists, uh, the monks. Uh, I work alongside of a lot of uh, different uh, religions, and and they're uh, you know they're they're uh, people, they're holy people, and. You know, I've done weddings where I've done a Christian wedding, and, and then I've walked down the hill. The people wanted a Christian wedding and a Buddhist wedding, so I did my Christian wedding first, and then I walked down the hill, and there was the Buddhist monks there, and I stood there while they uh, did the Buddhist part of it. And you're also a member of something called the Paranormal Clergy Institute. Yes. Uh, could you enlighten us a little bit about, about what that organization is? Okay. Uh, Bishop James Long and Father David Price founded the paranormal clergy. Now, what the paranormal clergy does is they help people out that that's has uh, things going on paranormal in their life. Uh, if if we go into a situation, say say a team of ghost hunters will go into an area and they find that there's demonic activity, and they'll and they'll get their evidence on film or or on uh, or on EVPs or anything like that. Well, they will go back to Bishop Long and show him the evidence. And if Bishop Long thinks that it warrants a exorcism, he will go in and do an exorcism, where it's a, whether it's a person or a building. Now, a lot of people, when they have problems like that and they go to their regular ministers or priests, they won't deal with anything like that. Well, Bishop Long is with the Old Catholic Church, and he founded the paranormal clergy just for that reason if if you're having a, a problem a spiritual problem like that and then you bring him proof where he has to go in there you won't have to wait two or three months for an okay from the vatican or okay from this or okay from that he he is the bishop of that church and he will go in and take care of it now if there if it's something like along the lines of something native american and they would rather have a shaman go in then i'll go in and take care of it or, uh, you know, he, he, he hopes to build it up to where he has all types of ministers and, and priests and rabbis and things like that with the clergy in case something paranormal happens within that religious uh, sect, whatever you're in, and you could, they can go in and ask, hey, uh, Father, I need, you know, I think I've got something going on here. Well, he'll send the investigators out, come back to him, and within a couple of days we'll have it taken care of. Yeah, it does eliminate a lot of that bureaucracy yeah, uh, that that's exactly. going on now. But I mean, even the Catholic Church now is starting to to advocate not advocate, but they're starting to uh, support the idea of exorcism a little bit more. And well, I mean, while that's still not going to shorten the process for people, at least they're willing to listen. Yeah, unlike in years past. You know, if, uh, if a person goes to Bishop Long and he's a bishop, I think I got a ghost in the house, or I think there's a demon in the house. Well, the the bishop will interview him, and if he thinks an investigation is warranted, he'll send out after dark the investigation team he works with, and after dark will go out and do an investigation, come back and report to him. And if they think it's it's uh, there's something there that he needs to take care of, then he'll go in and 
and take care of it. But if they come back and say, well, it's just a regular haunting, and I think uh, we can just do a regular clearing without you having to do a regular exorcism on the house, I, that will take care of it. Usually, you know, a blessing or, we, you know, a mass will take care of a, of a situation. I mean, but have you been present during all-out exorcism? Uh, like possession I done, exorcism? I haven't done an exorcism yet with, with the bishop, but I have done uh, a couple of things on my own where I took care of some what I call low-level demons into a, in a house or uh, a demon has inter, you know has attached itself to a person I've gotten rid of on my, on my own. So I've done things on my own, but I haven't done an actual exorcism with the bishop yet. But, you know... The future probably will bring that into place, you know, and uh, when, I'll probably do my first one with him before too long. And, and dealing with, you know, the Native American belief system, you've probably encountered a good deal of nature spirits and various elementals as well as, you yeah. know, human spirits. Uh, uh-huh. What's the difference in, in your experiences uh, between the two? Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, they don't believe in elementals. They don't believe in fairies. And I believe that Bigfoot's an elemental. I believe that uh, the Chupacabra is, is an elemental. You know, things of that nature. I believe these things come in and out of different uh, dimensions myself. Uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of areas in the world, especially here in the United States now, that things are starting to open up, different different portals and things, and these things are coming out, and they've been caught on film, and things of that nature, and, you know, if I, if, if I have to deal with the elemental, usually, you know, uh, they they present themselves around the forest area or something like that, or a remote area. They think, uh, you know, I, I've even been asked to go out and look for the Mothman. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just I, I deal in everything paranormal from elementals to UFOs to ghosts to demons. You name it, I've dealt with it. I want to get into the UFOs with you in just a moment, but, uh, you know, living in, in Louisville, Kentucky, I have to ask you, have you had a chance to investigate Waverly Hills Sanatorium? Oh, I know Waverly Hills really well. I know the, the Matt and Lee's really well, Tina and Charlie. Uh, I've gone up there, you know, work, you know, I've done readings during their Halloween uh, uh, thing they have every year, expos there, and I've gone up and walked around the building. I've, I've talked to the few of the spirits there, so... Uh, yeah, it's a very, very uh, active place. Uh, the actual grounds itself sits on a big deposit of limestone, so it's a good conductor of energy. Uh, they're planning, uh, they're in the planning stages now of turning Waverly Hills into a bed and breakfast mm-hmm. or, or a hotel. So he's just trying to get funding now, and uh, hopefully here in a couple of years you'll see, like the Waverly, Waverly Hills Hotel or the Waverly Manor breakfast, you know, bed and breakfast where you can go there and spend the night, and they're going to leave, uh, the, uh, the, I think, the fifth floor alone so you can go up and, and go on, on uh, ghost hunts. It's, it'll be included in your package, whatever, however they're going to deal with it. And there, there's going to be a restaurant there and a boutique there. And it's, it's you know, uh, Louisville is best known for Churchill Downs, but that's seasonal. But, uh you know, if, if Waverly gets that going, that's going to be a year-round thing with a lot of tours coming in from people all over the world. So uh, it's going to be something. It's one of my favorite places to investigate. I've known the Mattingleys for a while. Uh-huh. And I, I spent um, about a week's worth of time sleeping actually in the building. There is a number of spirits that are still oh, yeah. roaming those halls. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and, and Matt Moniz and... Uh, 
you have various experience working in the UFO abductee field, and and Willie's yeah, actually putting it mildly. <laughs> only only about twenty years worth. And, and Willie, you've actually been involved in that as well, but you had a personal experience that got you involved with it. Well, in 1965, I was playing out in my backyard, and it was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was by myself, and uh, uh, I was just out there playing by myself, and my next-door neighbor came out, and he was sitting in the swing, and we were talking back and forth, and, and he was a high school teacher, so, you know, we, you know, we became pretty good friends. He, you know, he would talk to me all the time, and I was playing, and I happened to look up in the sky, and I seen this, this star Way up in the way up in the sky, and I kept watching it, watching. I said, you know, and I told him, I said, look, look at this thing up in in the air. And we both was watching it, and we kept watching and watching. And finally, it started going, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, it was like a round, uh, disc shaped object above me, and it had lights underneath of it, uh, multicolored lights. And he was standing there looking at it, and then he said, I got to go into the house. And then he just turned and went, go, went back in the house, and I stood there looking at it, and then there was a flash of light. And the next thing I remember, it's dark out. It's like it's getting dark out. It's like 8.30 at nighttime. And, you know, I'm standing there in the yard, and I walk in, into the house, and my dad said, where you been at? I've been looking for you for three hours. Wow. And after that uh, uh, happened, that's when I started being able to, to uh, see and hear spirits a lot better. So that kind of kicked things off, kind of amped things up for you a little bit with your abilities. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, now, Matt, in, when you've been researching abductees, do you find that that happens from time to time? More often than you would ever imagine. Uh, that's usually what it is, uh, a first visual encounter. usually sparks uh, some sort of antithesis of something or you know, something that really you know, is a catalyzing event, and that opens them up to... The unseen realm. It's kind of like now yeah. that you've seen it, you have to believe it, type of thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I've seen actually the same thing happen to me. It's what got me. Well, I've had all kinds of crazy experiences, but what makes my experiences different is the the number of witnesses there with me, and it's interesting because they also themselves, the other witnesses, have had similar things. They've seen. You know, either ghosts with me or uh, unidentified objects, and then other spiritual things will happen to them, and other paranormal things will 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 happen to them as well. And it it carries or it's like a spillover for sure. whatever reason. And, and Willie, that actually led you into getting involved with MUFON and in your later years, and actually working with some other abductees as well. Yeah, they uh, what it, what had happened was. Uh, I went to a MUFON meeting, you know, they were having like a seminar, and I was sitting there, and, uh, the, you know, I went up and started talking to one of the people, and they found out that I had been a contactee, and and they asked me to, uh, would I like to be, you know, uh, a member of MUFON, and they and not just a member, but be a uh, a director, you know, a section director, so I said, okay. And what they would do, they, not only would I do the investigation work, but if, I would have a monthly meeting of people that that had some kind of a contact, and and they would be people that come to the meeting that that that, that had been contacted for you know twenty years or more, and, and didn't have anybody to talk to, and they would come to the meetings, and and you know they would feel really you know relieved to to have people to talk to, and I would even have them come over to the house, you know, if they wanted a private session, I would sit there and talk to them, and 
counsel him. He wouldn't believe the people. I would have doctors, lawyers, professional people come into the house, and I would talk to them, and, and they were really relieved to, to talk to a person to, that wouldn't make fun of them or think they were crazy. And by, uh, you know, having a, a different type of approach than what they might be used to, uh, having an experience yourself and also looking at things from a different belief system, do you find that, you know, people are kind of more willing to open up to you when other, you know, more hardened investigators of these cases or, or people who are more into the hard science and, and, and can't put a spiritual bend on things, uh, do you think that they're more open to speaking with you about it? Yeah, they're more open to speaking with me. It- not the the 1965 incident was not my first one. I mean, this has been ongoing. I mean, even to the day. I mean, uh, I've I've seen the the saucer shaped uh, UFOs. I've seen the cylinders. I've seen what I call the pearl. It's a big giant white. It looks like a big giant white orb. Uh, I have woke up and seen uh, a, a being in my my room, my bedroom. Uh, my wife, I woke up one time and I seen one of these things putting my wife back to bed. I woke up with finger marks on me, scratches. Uh, she's woke up with two black eyes. She's woke up with, we both woke up with, uh, different, uh, fluids on our, you know, uh, reddish, uh, orange fluid on our sheets and stuff like that. So, uh, it's just been an ongoing thing. And they even come, like if I have something major done, uh, if I gotta go ahead, have surgery done or anything like that, I can bet that I, you can bet that I'm going to be visited within a day or two, and they come and usually see what's going on, as if they're, you know, they know. They're kind of like keeping tabs yeah. uh, as to what's done to you. So, I mean, the fact that they they come so frequently, I mean, do you, have you ever, uh, have you ever tried to make contact with them the same way you would a spirit? I mean, can you kind of reach out and, and touch them in a in a mental way? Well. Actually, one time uh, uh, I, I started remembering things, memories that, that are coming back to me. One time I was in this room, uh, and it, it looked like uh, it was it was a white room, and it was like a silver table. And I can remember laying there, and I can remember this this being walking up, and and it was humanoid, uh, kind of tall, blonde haired guy. He looked down at me, and he was actually talking to me. I mean, we weren't. He was. It wasn't like ESP or anything. He was mm-hmm. talking to me. And he introduced himself as Adam to to me, and he said not to worry about anything. He said, he, you know, he, that they weren't going to hurt me. Uh, they just, you know, they just wanted to look me over, and uh, they would be coming back from time to time to visit, you know, and not to worry. So uh, there's nothing I could really do about it. I mean, it, I wake up with marks on me and scrapes and things like that. I woke up one one morning. It looked like I had an IV site on my on my uh, uh, hand, which I took a picture of, which is going to be in my next book. So, uh, you know, it's, there's just nothing you can do about it. If, if they want to do something, they'll come and do it. There's nothing you can do about it. So I just, I just have peace of mind about it. I mean, I haven't really been seriously hurt. So uh, I, I will probably, when the t- right time comes, they will come and get me, and I will be sitting there, and they'll tell me exactly what's going on. Well, we we hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a caller on the line for you, Willie, if you don't mind taking a call. Okay. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Willie Winwalker Gibson. How are you? Hi. Um, I was just wondering the name to uh, the ballad of Boys in the Hood, who made that song. Hello? <laughs> Hello? What? Hello. Uh, I'm sorry. What, what were you looking for? No, 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 no. You guys put on uh, 
Like, you know the Easy E song, Boys in the Hood? Yeah. Well, the ballad version from my other uh, artist. <laughs> What's the other stage? Are, are you looking for the? Are you looking for Fun 107? Yeah. I'm no, sorry. 95, 95, 5, BRU, WBRU. Dynamite Hack, but that's right. <laughs> there you go, Dynamite Hack. Huh? The, the Dynamite Hack is the answer. Dynamite Hack? Yeah, why don't you come on down to the uh, to the WBRU studios. We'll give you some free concert tickets. <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> WBSM AM 1420. Have a good night. <laughs> Sorry about that, Willie. <laughs> It's all right. I thought. You uh, know, I, I, I didn't thought realize you might, our. You might have, might have picked up a spaceship or something. <laughs> I didn't realize our phone numbers were so close. Or space shot. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you know it's hard. You know the the numbers get so not even similar at all. But you know the, all the phone sta- all the radio station phone numbers kind of run together in people's heads. So uh, thank you, Matt Costa, for knowing the answer to, um. <laughs> to that question. Oh, Willie, sorry about that. It's all right. Now, uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the books? Uh, now, Shaman Windwalker is already out, and Soul Warriors is in the works. Yeah, uh, Shaman Windwalker's been out since two thousand and two, uh, and it 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 covers from my childhood all the way up to nineteen ninety five. Now, into Shaman Windwalker, it goes into uh, you know the the UFO thing we just talked about. It it goes into the it talks about the cemetery we just talked about. Talked about my first ghost I saw. Uh, how I developed my senses, uh, and it stops around 1995. Now, the Soul Warriors picks up from 1995 on up to current date, and it's, it, I talk about spirits in there. I talk about Waverly Hills, Eastern Cemetery. Uh, I've got a murder story in there that I've worked on, and uh, talk a little bit about the paranormal clergy in there with Bishop Long. It's got, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a good read. It's, it's a short kind of book. It's got about 100 pages in it, but... It's a kind of book that you learn from, and also it's very interesting. And how can people pick up those books? Well, uh, the Soul Warriors has been picked up by Publish America, and hopefully it'll be out in February. You can pick up The Shaman Windwalker on authorshouse.com or amazon.com, or you can order it at any bookstore. Excellent. And you also have a, a television show, Spiritual Gifts and Wonders. Spiritual Gifts and Wonders has been at, uh, I've been doing it for 10 years, and it, it, what it is, it's a paranormal talk show. I have... Uh, you know, different groups on. I'll have different sensitives on. Uh, I've had Bishop Long on a lot, uh, different investigators. I have clergy members on. Uh, I'll just, I'll just uh, talk, uh, you know, doing what we're doing now, only on TV. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been doing that for about 10 years. See, that wouldn't work for us because we're all too ugly, so we have to stay behind the radio microphones. Well, when I tape, I take two shows, and they, and they alternate all, all, all month. I've got a big budget of zero. <laughs> we know that feeling. <laughs> Believe me. And you're also working uh, on, on a pilot for a new TV series as well. Yeah, I shot. Uh, I went with Louisville, uh, Louisville Paranormal Investigations, has uh, did a deal with uh, a, a company in, in, in uh, Florida, and they're going to be doing uh, a TV series called Real American Hauntings. And uh, they, I went out with Louisville Paranormal and shot the pilot show. So we're hoping to get that out sometime at the beginning of the year. Uh, I don't know exactly what channel it's going to be on, but they're working with by three different networks wanting to put it on. So I, I don't know what network it's going to be on, but I did do the first pilot show for them. And you also have a film project in the works as well. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're in negotiation now. What we we've already had a pre-production meeting. We're going to be doing shooting a documentary here in a couple of weeks. 
it's going to be over a period of about several months, and we're going to go to do different. We're going to go to different uh, uh, houses and and, and places and do uh, set up for you know just to do different uh, stories about areas, and we're going to do really really good job of investigation. You know, we're, we're going to we're going to try to get stuff on film to where people can actually see things move around, see an apparition, you know, uh, appear, and try to get a. a uh, people a really good uh, view of what uh, paranormal investigations is like and what a sensitive really does when they go in and try to contact uh, contact a, a spirit. Now you know there's a lot of there's several different shows on that that copy each other. You know, like they'll say, you know, I hear a knock at you know knock on the wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. People, I've been talking to people and they're they're kind of tired of that. They would they would love to see something actually happen. So we're going to go out and we're going to set up them, and we're not going to uh, stop until we actually get some good evidence to show people. All right. Well, we wish you luck with all of those projects. Hopefully you will keep us up to date uh, as things move along, and we'll have you back to talk about them as they're released. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and, and if uh, people want to get a hold of you and if they want to try to contact you to, to find out more about the, the shaman way of things and, and to find out how to utilize that in their investigations, how, how can they get a hold of you? Chief fifty five at AOL dot com. I'm also on MySpace as Crystal Chief fifty five. Oh, there you go. So, uh, real easy to get a hold of you, and and thank you for joining us. And we'll definitely be in touch in the future. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. Have a good night. Good night. Bye bye. All right. That is Willie Windwalker Gibson, as he said. Crystal Chief fifty five at AOL dot com is his email, and uh, also MySpace dot com slash Crystal Chief fifty five and. And really, if you go to his his, his uh, MySpace page, you can get a, a preview of the Shaman Windwalker, and you can read a, a, a few paragraph excerpts of it. And it's just really interesting stuff. I mean, it's, it, once you start reading it, and you start realizing, you know, somebody still can be a shaman in today's culture. It's still possible to to make that kind of spiritual connection, despite you know all the exterior forces telling you, hey, you know, no, no, you can't do that. You can't be this. You can't be that. It's amazing to me even how psychics, mediums, people who have these abilities will still discount the idea of a shaman because of the, the connotations that we've placed on the Native American people, you know, how we've kind of brushed them off to the side. And you know, I personally apologize for that. I, I didn't do it, but, uh, you know, if any of my ancestors did, I apologize because I think we have a lot to learn. All right, well, we'll be back in just a bit after the news with more here on Spooky South Coast, The Week in Weird, The Haunted Headlines, and so much more. Stay tuned. Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Just cut it for a clean edit. There we go. Thanks. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And Matt, you have some uh, some classes coming up at Bay State Paranormal Center. Yeah, I have one or two. Yeah, and uh, is this uh, one of your your um, is is this 
for the general public, or is this kind of very specific uh, for UFO investigators? I know they're UFO classes. Are, are they designed for the general population? Yeah, I can leave it open for a general population. Uh, if you've you know, been a member of MUFON or some other uh, organization, you'll just find that you know most of the basic stuff is there. And uh, I'm going to be talking about a few other resources that are available that most people aren't aware of, but it is helpful to know when you're doing investigations. Is there plans, and I know maybe it's it's kind of at the beginning stages of offering these UFO classes, because there's ghost classes popping up everywhere, but nobody's really teaching UFO investigation. But are there plans to, to get more specific and to actually train field investigators for UFO investigation work? <laughs> or you want to leave that in the hands of MUFON? Um, MUFON actually does have a very good program, um, but... MUFON is limited. Mm. They're limited in the, the resources that they have, the manpower and stuff like that. Um, their basic investigation technique is pretty standard, and it, it, it's not bad. What I'm looking to do is take you beyond what MUFON will teach you. Okay. Uh, you know what I'm saying? They'll, they'll go through steps A, B, and C. Um, and then they'll call in, you know, experts for something more than that. Right. That, that's what I mean. They'll be calling in people like me or uh, other people that have, you know, equipment available or experience in particular types of, you know, things, and depending upon what the need is. And uh, what I'm going to be doing is showing you where you can uh, attain some of these resources and where to look the stuff up and how to utilize it. Well, what's one fundamental difference for, for people who are paranormal investigators who, who are, you know, for lack of a better term, ghost hunters, and, and they want to try to get into the UFO cases, what is like a fundamental difference that they need to realize between, you know, ghost investigation and, and UFO investigation? Well, ghost investigations are, in a sense, easier because, you know, ghosts tend to stay in one spot. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the place is haunted. Whereas in UFO is a transient uh, occurrence where it'll happen here, randomly there in this and there. I mean, it's a little harder to track down. Um, in most ca- most UFO cases, if there's an interaction, there's physical materials you can test. Whereas in ghosts, you know, pass right through things. You can't put them in a bottle and put them in an analyzer and analyze it. So you can't put ghosts in a bottle because I bought one on eBay. Uh, well, paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. You, you understand what I, I mean. I know what you mean. I'm just teasing. Yeah. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the fundamental differences, at least if I was investigating UFO case, from what I'd want to be able to do and what I'd want to know, is sense of urgency. I mean, with a ghost, you know, you kind of, you know, you can keep going back to a Lizzie Borden's because these things keep happening. Right. But it seems like with a, a UFO investigation, you have to be ready to hit the ground running when there's a yes. report that comes in. I mean, the sooner you get there, the better the information is because it's still fresh. Uh, it's also good to get there before things can also get tainted, too, just like in ghost investigations. If somebody's had a ghost experience, you want to interview them, you know, immediately. What did you see? What did you, you know? Get all same type of thing. Investigating with the people in UFO cases is just like investigating with ghost cases. You're looking at the person's sincerity, the way that they tell the story, the repeatability and consistency of it. You know, those general processes are the same. It's just that the end results of what you're looking for doing ghost investigation versus UFOs is, you know, different. The ghost is still going to be there. The UFO is already long gone. 
and, and probably by design. Yeah. So uh, if you'd like to check out these classes, and, and do you know the dates coming up? I know there's one. i got one coming up. The second, uh, there's a couple that's being rescheduled because of uh, the past weather patterns that we've had and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, if you'd like to find out more, you can call the Bay State Paranormal Center at 508-880-8696. That's 508-880-8696. And you can also visit them at their brand new website, baystateparanormalcenter.com. It is located in Taunton, Massachusetts, uh, right on Broadway down there, right on the main, you know, as you're coming around the, the courthouse there. And if you'd like to stop in, Elizabeth's there. You can say hi. You know, not now, right now, because I think they're having a private event right now. But, uh, and hello to everybody at that private event. But, you know, during the day and uh, during the afternoons and the evening hours, she's there. Stop in, find out more about what it's about, and uh, don't forget to buy your tickets for January 10th when uh, Jason and Grant from TV's Ghost Hunters will be visiting uh, Bay State Paranormal Center at the Taunton High School. So you don't want to miss your chance. $25 a ticket. Get them while there's still some left. So uh, check that out. Now, I'll be teaching a few co- courses uh, in January. We have... Uh, the History of the Paranormal, I believe, is coming up again. And also our first ever broadcast from beyond. It's our, our discussion about the ghost boxes that are out there now. And we'll actually bring in a Radio Shack hack that people can try out, utilize for themselves, and we'll teach you how to make one. And uh, we'll, we'll share with you some of the background information of talking with the dead. So I don't want to miss that. All the information is on BayStateParanormalCenter.com. So uh, you know what I noticed, Matt Costa? That Matt, Matt Moniz and I are teaching classes at Bay State Paranormal Center, and you're not. I know. Is, is there a subject matter that you would feel knowledgeable enough to pass on that knowledge um, to others? I'm not us- I'm not too knowledgeable in anything, or I don't think I am. So You, you just don't have the confidence. <laughs> I think you could teach a class on how to produce a, a paranormal radio station with limited resources, time, yeah, and, and, and a broken iPod. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could get enough people to sign up for the class, you could get a new iPod. I know. So there you go. You got to work that out. And, well, uh, we have been having some problems with the iPod, and you know what? That's that's pretty weird. I would say be very good in the class of debunking. He is a very good uh, critical skills. No, he no, he doesn't. He won't believe anything. Well, well, all I'll teach him is to shut everything down. If if Tim or Matt say it, if Tim or when you say it, just tell them no. <laughs> just tell them it can't be possible because you guys believe it. So it's, do we have weak and weird music? Should I should I segue into the weak and weird music? I think we have it. We do? All right. Well, in that case. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that point where I said, that's pretty weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today, which is wonderful. Weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. (laughs) The Week in Weird. Man, good thing that got preloaded into the computer. All right, well, our first story comes from KTVN News in Reno, Nevada. The slumping economy has cost many people their jobs, but there appears to be at least one profession that's actually cashing in on the nation's economic woes. Skepticism often plagues the business of fortune-telling, but in these tough economic times, many are putting apprehension aside in the hopes of seeing what's in the cards for their economic futures. Astrologer Randy Goldberg, was, was he a wrestler? No, that was Bill Cole. Astrologer Randy Goldberg says he's gone from seeing two to three clients a day to as many as nine. No longer is love the top query. 
They're curious about what's going to happen to the market, what the economic future of the U.S. is looking like in the next couple of years. They want to know about the job market, Goldberg says. Donna Marie Artuzo is one of Goldberg's clients. She says she's well aware of how psychics are perceived, but after being laid off recently, she says she's found comfort in Goldberg's latest prediction. She says, Randy thinks I'm going to reinvent myself and have a new career. The American Association of Psychics agrees the slumping economy has sparked a notable increase in business. Psychology professor Dr. Stanley Krippner says he's not surprised by the psychic business boom. He said, there's psychological and anthropological literature on this topic showing that people do go to psychics more and more frequently during times of economic distress or national emergency. And again, that comes from KTVN News in Reno, Nevada. And you know, I, I call this the scratch ticket theory. It seems to me that when people have zero money, when they're down to their last five bucks, they're going to spend that five dollars on a scratch ticket, hoping that they're going to kind of hit it big. And, and this is like the, the psychic equivalent of that. You know, I'm down to my last few bucks, but let me throw it at somebody that will hopefully tell me things are going to be better. Uh, to me, it's one of these things that brings new meaning to the word future speculators. Absolutely. And, you know, if these psychics... They truly are future speculators. If these psychics could tell people when the economy is going to turn around, why couldn't they have warned us that the economy was going to go in the toilet? <laughs> Does it not work that way? Is that Because nobody has ever gone to a psychic and the psychic says, I predict that sometime in the next six months you're going to become broke. No, they always tell you you're going to get wealth. They always tell you you're going to find love. You know, I'd like to go plop down my $25 or whatever it costs for a half an hour reading and have them say, look, Six months from now, you're going to be no better off than you are. You're going to be just as broke, if not broker. <laughs> not only will you not find love, but you're actually going to be feeling even worse about yourself in that regard. But, hey, you know what? There's going to be a new season of Lost coming out, so cheer up. <laughs> Thanks. Give me back my 25 bucks. Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. <clears throat> from the BBC News, a young girl's letter to Santa caused a commotion when local residents in the U.K. mistook it for a UFO. People contacted local newspapers and local radio stations after seeing a group of bright lights in the night sky. But instead of aliens trying to land, the lights were flying lanterns carrying letters to Santa, which had been sent off by a local man, Ian Ware. The father of three was trying to give his five-year-old daughter, Ellie, a science lesson after she quizzed him about hot air balloons. It wasn't until he heard his neighbors talking about sightings that he realized the uproar that he caused. He said there was a very colorful hot air balloon flying overhead, and my daughter asked me how how they worked. I thought of trying to build one to demonstrate, but I had visions of a plastic bag going up in flames. Instead, he bought lanterns online and prepared for his scientific experiment, experiment after reading a story about another family who used them to contact fa Father Christmas. It wasn't until his mother-in-law mentioned that she had heard about a UFO sighting on the local radio that Mr. Ware realized the commotion that he had caused. It was reported that people had seen three bright lights over the UK and thought they were UFOs. I just didn't think when I sent the balloons up in the air. All I was worried about was making sure they wouldn't blow onto anyone's roof. So. Well, okay, I understand what he's trying to do, and I think it's a great idea yeah. to have that science lesson. But can we please stop with the flying lanterns already? I know. Every single time somebody sets them off, it's reported as a UFO. Look, just there's got to be a way around this. There's, there's got to be some way 
for them to be able to figure out how people can have their fun with their flying lanterns and how people can stop realizing that they're, you know, that they're not UFOs and that they are flying lanterns. You know, my suggestion is just like, you know, you have to have FAA flight patterns reported for airplanes. You have to report the flight plan for your flying lantern, okay? We'll put it up on a website. We'll let people know when you're going to launch them and where you're going to launch them from. And then there you go. No more UFO reports coming from these flying lanterns. Or you file for a permit to use them for that day. Do you need... Do you, do you, do you think well, you need to have one anyway? Well, think about it. You're I would put, hope so. You're putting a flaming on. object up in the air. This, if that comes down in a wrong area, that can start a fire. That's a public hazard. Well, that I'm still, still going to go out and get a bunch. You understand my point. Yeah. Uh, you, if, if something happens, here's the liability for it. You, f- you file for the permit. Number one, it'd be easy to track if there's reports coming. Number two, if it does start a f- somebody's roof on fire from coming down, they know who, who to come after. You know, just just a thought. All, All right. right. Well, Matt Moniz, what yes. do you have for us? I have something from the AP. The Apple computer was invented in a garage. Same with the Google search engine. Now, tinkerers are working at home with the basic building blocks of life itself. Using a homemade lab using homemade lab equipment and the wealth of scientific knowledge available online, These hobbyists are trying to create new life forms through genetic engineering, a field long dominated by PhDs toiling in universities and corporate laboratories. So far, no major gene-splicing discoveries have come out of anybody's kitchen or garage, but critics of the movement worry that these amateurs could one day unleash an environmental or medical disaster. Defenders say future Bill Gates of biotech could be developing the cure for cancer in a garage. Many of these amateurs may have studied biology in college but have no advanced degrees and are not earning a living in the biotechnology field. Some proudly call themselves biohackers, innovators who push technological boundaries and put the spread of uh, knowledge before profits. In Cambridge, Massachusetts, a group calling itself DYI Bio, or Do-It-Yourself Bio, is setting up a community lab where the public could use chemicals and lab equipment, including a freezer uh, scored for free off Craigslist that drops to 80 degrees below zero, the temperature needed to keep many kinds of bacteria alive. Well, that's not really true. They're not really alive. They're frozen and suspended. But Co-founder... Uh, Mackenzie Cowell, a 24-year-old who majored in biology in college, said amateurs will probably pursue serious work such as new vaccines and uh, super-efficient biofuels, but they may also try, for example, to use squid genes to create tattoos that glow. That's so, a scary thought. I, I'm thinking more along the lines that these people are going to be using these labs to make meth or something. Well, you know why I got you that story, right? Because you live on the island of Dr. Moniz, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that you've got some sort of gene-splicing lab going on somewhere down there, because I've seen those squirrels that you guys grow down there, <laughs> and those are not normal. <laughs> yeah, and about the colors, that's not really you know, due to squid gene-splicing, that's due to paintballs. Yes, yes. But then again, you need, you need some paintballs to, to keep those ones calm. 
But they're they're nasty out where I live. What what, what do you think of this idea, though, of opening up these labs for people to be able to come in and and mess around with gene splicing? To me, it seems like it's not only dangerous, but it seems like it's going to be really easy access for, like, terrorists to go and start working on bioweapons. I mean, all it takes is a little bit of knowledge to start with, and you can cook up stuff right in your own kitchen, and that's biological as well as chemical. Mm -hmm. I mean... If you really wanted to, you can get nuclear material. Uh, I, I really shouldn't have to say this over the air, but, I mean, it's out there. The material's out there if you know what you're looking at. Uh, there's plenty of radioactive materials that people can you know, gather around their house to make it a dirty palm if they really wanted to. And that, folks, is the audiobooks version of the Anarchist Cookbook. All right. <laughs> One of my first books as a teenager. Why am I not surprised? Right on the shelf next to the Satanic Bible. All right, well, we're going to now bring you the Haunted Headlines with Chris Balzano. It's a new feature we'll be uh, offering every week here on Spooky South Coast, provided Chris remembers to send us the Haunted Headlines in an email. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about the paranormal, including an email from a listener named John. We'll get to that in just a moment. We're going to pick Matt Moniz's brain a little bit about string theory. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more after the Haunted Headlines here on Spooky South Coast. <laughs> The vault is open. You're listening to The Haunted Headlines, your source for the stories making waves in the paranormal news. Sponsored by GhostVillage.com at www.GhostVillage.com backslash news. Good evening, I'm Chris Balzano and you're listening to The Haunted Headlines, your source for the thought-provoking stories hitting the Ghost Village Newswire this week. The biggest story this week has been the glistening photo of a spirit seen in a Charlotte, North Carolina hospital. A picture of what witnesses believe was an angel was taken in early November, but it and the story behind it hit the wires this week through the Charlotte Observer. Colleen Benton had suffered through her daughter Chelsea's multiple health problems since she was first born. It looked as if the 15-year-old's September trip to the hospital would be her last. Originally placed on life support, the young girl battled for nearly two months, being taken off several times only to regain some function. A deeply religious family, they prayed over what to do. The family decided on Halloween to take her off fully if she relapsed. On November 5th, after the entire family had time to say their goodbyes, Colleen sat vigil with her daughter. At some point, she noticed an odd figure in the monitor focused in the hall outside the room. Quote, on the monitor there was a bright light, and I looked at it and said, Oh my goodness, it looks like an angel. She snapped a quick picture, and her daughter almost immediately began to get better. She was finally released from the hospital in mid-November. The picture itself looks like nothing more than light coming in from a window, although the family says the day was overcast and the sun had not come out at all. The integrity of the picture and what it might be is still in question, but the family, especially Colleen, have no doubt an angel saved Chelsea that day. In entertainment news, a new documentary is going where a few other films have gone before. Night terrors and the old hag syndrome are not new ideas to the paranormal, but a new documentary looks to explore the subject from all angles. Soul Smack, a production company out of Farmington, Maine, has just released Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault, to answer questions about sleep disorder and offer a look into one of the most common and least understood problems and its place in the ghostly realm. The documentary explores the history, symptoms, terrors, stigmata, research, and treatment of sleep paralysis, with interviews from the people experiencing them to the people fighting to understand them. 
The focus of the movie is the clinical side of the events, but the lore behind the mystery and the effect it has on its victims is inseparable from the paranormal world. The details of the documentary and the whirlwind it is causing in the ghost community will spark argument and discussion in the coming months. You can find out more about the movie at www.soulsmack.com, www.soulsmack.com. And then there is the wrong way to go about investigating. Three men were busted with drugs in Mossagee Cemetery in Escambia County, Florida. According to the Pamina City News Herald, they had pulled off to the side of the road where they were spotted by police. When questioned, they claimed to be out looking for ghosts, but the driver had a bag with drug paraphernalia and marijuana. The cemetery, somewhat known locally as a ghostly hotspot, is often the site of parties. The driver was cited for possession of drugs and drug paraphernalia, and no ghosts were said to be found. Thank you for listening to The Haunted Headlines. You can read more about these stories and others at the Ghost Village News Department at www.ghostvillage.com backslash news. I'm Christopher Bolzano, and that's what's haunting me. Hey, Matt. Yes. Got a new SingStar game. Did you? Yeah. Has nothing to do with the paranormal, but I got a new SingStar game. When are you going to come over and play? Uh, when you get another 30 rack. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, there you go. Uh, that'll be fun. Just kidding. Oh, just we don't kidding. condone drinking on Spooky yeah. South Coast. Unless you're at the Bay State Paranormal Center celebrating the uh, Christmas party. I, I do have a... A big box of juice boxes in my house. I can there you go. Over. A big bowl of cocaine, no big bowl of cocaine. Oh, All right, okay. good. Call Belanger that's, for that. That's <laughs> Jeff Belanger's <laughs> shtick. I'm not going to steal it from him. Well, uh, we are Spooky South Coast, and believe it or not, we talk about the paranormal here, not just drugs and alcohol. And if you'd like to give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Those numbers posted up at SpookySouthCoast.com, which is our website where you can... Listen to the show live as it happens, where you can find out more about us, where you can join in the chat on the forum. Uh, you can also uh, download previous show archives all the way back to the to the early days of Spooky South Coast when we were just wee lads talking about the paranormal. We're actually coming up on our, what, third anniversary? Is that yeah. what it is? Third anniversary? Three years. We're, we're heading into year four coming up at the end of January. That's over, crazy. Over 125 shows, something like that? More like, than that, yeah, like, but like 140, 150. Yeah. yeah, we're almost we're almost ready for syndication. You no. know, there's almost as many episodes in the can for us as there as there is of Lost. You know, and they're all over the place. So why can't we be? What's going on? Come on, radio, syndicate us. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean we we thank all of our loyal listeners and and those uh, those of you who are just joining us and and getting on board the spooky south coast train now i mean we appreciate it everybody that's helped us over the years not just you know not just the listeners themselves but also the investigators who have had us join them on different excursions and the the opportunities that we've had if you had told me you know 3 years ago when we started this program that 
A, the sound guy from The Raven investigated the paranormal. I, <laughs> I would have been like, really? Eh, I can see that. <laughs> but if you told me that, you know, within the course of, you know, the next three years, uh, we'd be on the History Channel, we'd be on British television, you know, that we'd be uh, featured in, in books by Chris Balzano, like Dark Woods, Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle, picture yourself ghost hunting. You know, if you told us all things like that, I, I would have said, yeah, well, of course. No, I would have been shocked and surprised. And and we still are. We can't believe the, the support that we've received. And, and hopefully we can keep providing you an entertaining and informative program because that's what we, we try to do here. You know, there's there's about 500 different paranormal radio shows out there. And, and everybody tries to have their different thing, their different little take on things. And, and it's it makes for very interesting listening. Uh, it makes it so that you can listen to 500 different paranormal shows during the course of a week and not get tired of it because everybody brings their own thing. Our thing that we try to bring to the table is we're just having a conversation and we're just trying to ask the questions that the listeners would have to ask if if they were sitting here in our seats. We're not trying to you know, make the show about us in any way. We're not trying to make the show about what our beliefs are in the paranormal. We're trying to just present to you a, a variety of different point of views and have you make your own mind up as we go along. So hopefully we can continue to do that. If you ever have a complaint, a suggestion, anything about the show, you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and our individual emails are all listed on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. You know, if you want to talk crap about me and Costa de Moniz, that's fine. You can do that as well. He's or just vice versa. And so. Speaking of emails, before the break, we got an email from loyal listener John who wanted to know uh, about the idea behind string theory and the paranormal. And uh, Matt Moniz, I'll, I'll have you give a little bit of an overview as to what string theory is. All right, to keep it very, very simply, uh, string theory basically talks about like a multiverse and uh, decisions that are made. One string will go down one direction, another string will go down another direction depending upon the uh, decisions you make. Uh, it, it gets a lot more complicated than that, but what they're talking about is how some of these strings may overlap, and what you're seeing is um, a bleed from one into the other, one reality into the other as they intersect for whatever reason. So we're talking about, when we, when we talk about the idea of string theory and how it relates to the paranormal, we're talking about you know, the multiverse yeah. theory that we talked about all the way back in, what, show number one with Paul, you know, or show number two? Matt, Matt Costa, you remember? I don't even remember that far back. Uh, that was show two. Show two, we talked with Paul, you know, uh, about the idea of the multiverse theory even way back then. And and we had no idea what he was talking about because we hadn't <laughs> – we weren't really as – knowledgeable as we are now but it kind of went over our heads but now we understand the idea of you know different dimensions rubbing up against each other and that to us what we see as a ghost could really just be somebody existing on a different plane and and to us we're ghosts to them yeah i like i said string theory covers a lot of different things and uh it gets complicated uh but it's not to say that it doesn't have some validity to it I mean, we we're still all looking, and there's a reason for it, and and we don't really know. And this is why we're there looking. It has uh, some possibilities that may answer a few of the questions, but it doesn't answer all of them. I mean, I don't think you're going to find one complete answer that's going to answer everything in the paranormal. Can there be physical crossovers from these, or is it kind of just like a visual thing? Can there, you know, could say, example, Bigfoot. 
we see these sightings and then they disappear and we don't find trace of them uh, beyond a few stray hairs or some dung or a footprint or whatever. Could these be like a trans-dimensional situation where, you know, as these universes rub against each other, they right. create a doorway, a portal? And I could say yes. I'm not, and I don't think anybody can be absolutely sure that, you know, that it's not real. Not real. I mean, it's real in its dimension there. Why isn't it real in this dimension when you get a merging of the two? You know, is it real or not real in both dimensions you know it, it leaves something okay I'll, I'll grant you that i mean so real is subjective it, it just seems like uh, the idea of of quantum mechanics is something that's still being figured out by scientists and <laughs> yeah. until we can figure out how to apply it to to regular science it's going to be harder to to really apply it to the paranormal there's a number of great books out there about it uh, including marie jones book science yeah. Uh, with a PSI, and, and there's a number of different books and, and classes. If you go to BayStateParanormalCenter.com, uh, Andrew Graham of NIRA teaches classes in string theory and the paranormal, and it's something that I know another, uh, a number of other researchers are, are putting their focus on. Constantinos, uh, he gives a lecture regularly about it. And, and I think what it is is they see this as a possibility to explain what's going on, and they're applying it to the paranormal, which could totally be right, and I, I, I see exactly how it would fit in, but we don't really understand it enough to be able to say, okay, that's what we're experiencing. That's what the paranormal is. And even then, some experiences wouldn't fit into that mold even. You know, like I said, string theory also includes a, a whole number of things that deals with cosmology and other things. But I also like to use it to, to tease my cat. Yeah. All right, well, we have a call here, so let's take that phone call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? All right. We're spooktacular, as we like to say. What? <laughs> We're spooktacular. Oh, okay. Um, that's good. I just have a question about the whole string theory thing. Okay. And I want to know what Matt thinks. Now, you know, when people observe other, um, like, ghostly beings and stuff, they usually see them in period dress, which usually means, you know, like uh, 1800s or something like that, you know, long dresses. And Your question, has anybody seen anybody from the future? Yeah, why is it we don't see, like, That's cavemen, that, and why don't we see people from the future? Uh, there actually has been reports of both. I never hear anything like that. Yeah, th it's not common, but there have been. Yeah, that, that, that's a misconception. Uh, people think, you know, you, you know I, I'm not sure why it's not as often. Uh, your guess would be as good as mine, but there have been reports of people seeing what they thought were ghostly apparitions of things from the future. One in particular was a ship. And now this person described it as a floating city that passed in front of him uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, many, many, many multi-levels tall, obviously something of futuristic construction that is no, nowhere near what we are able to build today. Now, that's a... View of something from the future, as well as another uh, case that I recall of somebody seeing what they thought to be uh, the ghost of a Cro-Magnon in the cave. So there are these reports. They're not common, granted, but they do exist. What well, what I'll say is that uh, if there are uh, cavemen sightings, most of the time it's just these two that are to my left and to my <laughs> right being confused. But uh, I almost wonder if there's maybe a brief um, 
space, time and space area where we can bump up against and cross over. We're not crossing over and bumping up against, rubbing up against times where there's cavemen that exist. It has to be a time remotely close to our own uh, within these multiple universes. That's just a guess. I mean, are we putting a, a window of it of, of 150 years or 200 years? I don't know. Or is it the timing just happened to be right at that particular time and place and observed by somebody? Yeah. I mean, that That's just a guess, really. I wonder if they have classes on string theory and the paranormal at Bay State Paranormal Center coming up. Would you know anything about that, caller? They might. April 10th, 2009? Yeah, April 10th sounds good, yeah. Right. And they can uh, they can purchase tickets in advance uh, by going and telling you now. I mean, telling the Bay State Paranormal Center now that they. Yeah, uh, they could call them right now if they wanted to. And that number would be. Would you happen to know that number? I might know it. It might be five zero eight 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 zero eight six nine six. All right. Well, uh, we thank you for for calling in with your question. All right. Great. Thanks. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Wow, she knew a lot about Bay State Paranormal Center. The word is getting around. Maybe she was just on their website. Could and, be. Uh, we, we heard back from John here as part of the discussion, and, and his comment is, most likely people don't report seeing futuristic apparitions because all they know is what they see on TV. So it's kind of like, you know, you're not, you're not familiar with what it is, so therefore you're more likely to dismiss it, uh, I'm guessing right. is his point, you know. To me, it's almost like, yeah, that would be crazy, you know, to see, you know, uh, what, what were those guys on the Ninja Turtles, the neutrinos? Yep. The guys that, like, came from the future and... You know, that, if I saw one of these guys flying around in their 57, you know, caddy without any wheels flying around, their, their crazy hair. Uh, nobody out there listening knows what a neutrino is. I don't know why I'm using that as my point of reference. But anyway, what I'm saying is that if your mind can't make a reference to it, then you're a lot more likely to dismiss it. Right. Uh, like I said, I have had other reports that I know of, of things supposedly viewed as the future. In, a ghostly apparition type form. Mm-hmm. Now, how how do you have a ghost of something that hasn't been yet? Well, then it would have to be from that right. multiverse. But how, you know, my question is, how do you know that it's definitely the future? You know, you're, you're making that. That's still an abstract concept. You know, that you're making that assumption that it's from the future when it could just be from. If you think about it, right now, we're somebody's past. Uh, and also, but when you think about it, the same thing is happening in multiple other dimensions right. as well at the same time. But in those dimensions, we could be flying while we're doing the show. Oh, you know, it's, it, not everything is caught and up to Mickey the time. Mickey Mouse and place could be right president. Now. And oh, wait a minute, that's already happened. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give him that much credit. Uh, and I'm not talking about <laughs> Mickey Mouse. But, <laughs> it, but all right, like, all right, right now I'm currently reading the, the last of the Dark Tower books. Okay. Uh, by Stephen King. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. I um, know them. Yeah. For, for those of you out there who who aren't, it's you know Stephen King's long-standing fantasy story uh, that he's been working on for pretty much his entire career. And, and through these books, through these seven novels, he's kind of tied in many of the characters and situations that were in a lot of his books. Uh, and he's written something like you know 20 million books. And and all these characters end up being kind of interrelated and all serving this central story. And it's kind of the same idea as the string theory. Every time, you know, there's there's these different wheres and whens t- to the story, 
And in one where and when, you know, this might have happened, and another one it might not have. So depending on which one you land in, you have to kind of figure out what has gone on and, and figure out what things have happened or not happened or changed or not changed. And it's kind of like that with the, the multiverse idea. You know, you have to figure out if you're looking at another dimension and you have that window into another dimension, how are they different than ours? It's not just, oh, look, that looks like, you know, my grandmother. Well, how does she not? How how do the things different? You know, why would your grandmother be wearing 1850s period dress? You know, that that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, just makes the paranormal really hard. Yeah, just imagine Doctor Who on acid. <laughs> <laughs> only only real. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, maybe you've got a theory, maybe you've got a a thought on that. You can give us a call 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. Just what, what are these ghosts? What, what is the nature of this? Uh, Matt, Matt Costa, what do you think? I mean, I know you're not apt to believe in the idea of, you know, the spirits of dead people walking around interacting with us, but yeah. uh, can you buy into the idea of multiple dimensions happening all at the same time? I don't know. It seems kind of, uh, out there. It's very deep. But yet again, it's got the most scientific proof out of most of these theories that we're talking about. I don't know. I like the. I, I think I I tend to stick with the theory of residual energy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, I mean, would you? Do you think that there's concurrent occurrences happening all at the same time, or do you think we're kind of following one straight line here? I think it's just one straight line. Yeah, but that's. Do you believe in Dr. Beckett's theory that you can ball that string up and then therefore different parts of your life will intersect and you can quantum leap almost from one point I to another? I believe in the show, and I believe that it should come back on the air. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Let's start the letter-writing campaign. We couldn't even save Journeyman. Now we're going to try no. and resurrect quantum leap. I never sent the rice in. Yeah, me either. Well, oh well. let's just be thankful that uh, you know we haven't been canceled. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills so that we won't be. When we come back, we'll talk more with you about the paranormal, but let us know what you think. Share in, chime in, 508-500-508-291-0500. Email spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. We'll be right back with the final few minutes of the program here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, Silent Assassin Matt Costa, Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and that is the Classics 4, which in my opinion is way better than Classics 1 through 3. That's, that's my opinion. <laughs> Goes but along the, with the house party movies. They, they, wrote that, uh, they wrote that song just for us. Yeah. 45, 50 years ago. Just for us. It's like they knew. They knew. But they didn't know about mm. the economy, yeah. amazingly enough. Well... 
This is Spooky South Coast, where we talk about the paranormal and a few things we can kind of relate to the paranormal we can squeeze in. And uh, we, we of course, have been announcing uh, for weeks now that you can email us while we're here in the Spooky Studio, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And to the email that I just got just a few moments ago, uh, who uh, has been emailing me for the past few days, just do me a favor, send me a contact phone number uh, so we can set something up. Uh, don't want to talk about that on the air? So uh, please send me your phone number, and uh, we'll make some plans to uh, discuss because we, we definitely need to get a little bit more about that and don't feel comfortable talking about it on the air for, for different reasons, which I can explain later. So, But that's the, that's the yeah. email we've been waiting for. Yeah. So Anyway, uh, we as we say, we talk about the paranormal each and every week. We'll be back next week to talk with you more about the paranormal, and we've got some, some big shows lined up in 2009 as well. Uh, we, we've got so much stuff going on, so many different show topics floating around in our heads. There's so many topics we want to revisit and visit for the first time. So many different places I'm going to be going this coming year. Where he's not going to invite us. Hey, you guys are more than welcome to go. I'm just kidding. We're actually going to try to go to some of them with you. And, uh, of course, we're always open to any suggestions you have for, for investigations. Uh, and as I was explaining to our guests in the studio here a, a little while ago, you know, we don't want to be out there conducting investigations as a group and saying, you know, we're a group that has a radio show where we talk about our investigations. That's not what we're all about. We're trying to present to you evidence and information about the paranormal. And if you have a case that you think is of interest to us and you want us to, to join in and we can bring in some of our you know, experts as, as much as you can't be an expert, but we have people who are kind of uh, well-trained in their respective disciplines. Sure. And, and we're happy to help include them as well. You know, that's what we're here for. It's a community. And I think I mean, and we've talked about we're this. We're a resource for you. Absolutely. We've talked about this in the past, though, and I think, you know, really we're seeing a strong, strong community develop within the paranormal field in this area, in the Northeast, and I'm glad that we can be a part of it, and hopefully going forward we can continue to be a part of it and help, you know, maybe put together this person with this group and put together this investigator with this researcher. And I'm starting to see a better trend. Uh, before we had everybody, you know, digging their heels, and this is my place, nobody else can investigate but me. But now I'm starting to see a lot more interaction and cooperation between groups, sharing places and things. And, and I fully encourage that because that's how we're all going to learn. I mean exposure from different people you might get different results and and, and let me just put this out there this will be our, our big final proclamation going forward into 2009 with our, our final few moments of 2008 uh tv shows book deals movies whatever's coming out of all of this nobody's really getting rich for life off the paranormal and there's not a lot of money that's going to be had so it makes no sense to try to fight and keep everything amongst yourselves because all you're really doing is hurting the field um that's just what I have to say. You know, there's there's no million dollar contracts being handed out for these TV shows. It's it's not like uh, it's not like Friends where they were getting what like twenty two million dollars an episode. You know, so so just keep that in mind. It's not all as glamorous as you think it would be. So let's just all work together and find the answers because that research should come first. Everything else comes second. Says the guy who's signing off the radio show. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll do it for two thousand eight. For Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular on forward into 2009. Talk to you next year. 
Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is...